Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in. Support for this podcast also comes from Neighbor to Neighbor. Neighbor to Neighbor falls under the Adventist Community Services, providing services such as thrift store items, counseling, and disaster relief. If you'd like to learn more or get more information about Neighbor to Neighbor, please visit n2nhelps.com. That's n2nhelps.com. And I repeated Bartimaeus's prayer. Mm-hmm. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. I started out slowly. I started out deliberately. And every time I said, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, the emotions just grew. And I just could not stop saying, and I must have said it, I think, at least a hundred times. Wow. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. I am Michael Xarona, and you're listening to Why I Am Here, a show that shares the incredible stories of our guests and how they can inspire you to have a closer walk with God. On today's show, I sit down with Dr. Tom Wilson. Dr. Tom Wilson is a retired surgeon, but something tragic happened whilst he was working on his tractor in his field. He got into an accident that led to breaking his leg. Not only that, the doctors suggested that if this leg was not going to be getting better, it needed to be amputated. Dr. Wilson cried to God, Son of David, have mercy on me. hundred times. Can you imagine that? Yes, hundred times. But God came through for him. He is still working today. Let's find out more on today's show. Went to osteopathic medical school, became a surgeon, practiced general and urologic surgery. I was doubly boarded, practiced in various areas. Um, and in 2001, at my mid-60s, I retired from surgery and, remo- and moved back from the Detroit area to where both my wife and I were raised here in Berrien Springs. Mm-hmm. That was a, a big decision in and of itself, but I had inherited 24-acre piece of land from my parents mm-hmm. in their estate. And the meaning of that 24 acres was it was the original farm which my dad farmed as a fruit farmer. So did you grow up on this farm? Grew up on that farm, Mm -hmm. and from that original little 24 acres, my dad branched out, leased other properties, and at the time of the 50s and 60s, he was uh, regarded as one of the larger fruit farmers in the area. Oh, really? Yes. What kind of fruits did he grow? Oh, We started out usually with strawberries, sometimes asparagus, sometimes cucumbers. Uh, But we went from strawberries into the various uh, fruits. Usually about uh, raspberries would come, and raspberries would take us into cherries, and Mm -hmm. cherries and take us into the grapes, the pears, the apples, the plums. Uh, Sometimes we would raise cantaloupe. He was kind of an entrepreneur. He had peaches, so all sorts of fruit. Wow, that's uh, quite a wide range of fruits. Yes, yes. 
So when you when you moved, what was uh, the condition of the farm, especially the cherry orchard? When we talked about the estate, uh, he mm-hmm. was trying to get his estate in place before his death, which he did. We had partnered on putting a cherry orchard um, on this 24 acres. It was uh, about 10-acre cherry orchard. And when I took over in 01, it was at the end of its producing power. The trees were breaking down. Uh, Mm -hmm. The method of harvesting with the shakers uh, shortened the life of a tree. So it was getting pretty well decayed. And in fact, uh, in 2004, after my accident, we took the whole orchard out. So let's, uh, let's go back a little bit. So whilst, uh, whilst the cherry orchard was, was decaying and you were taking care of it, what happened? We were still producing. Uh-huh. It was still producing some. And there's always upkeep. The weeds were growing. So I had let the weeds get a little ahead of me. So we have what we call a bush hog that we put on the back of an orchard tractor. Mm-hmm. I was cleaning up the orchard. I forget which day of the week it was. Mm-hmm. Trying to cut the weeds down just to keep the land in, in the orchard in working condition. So you were using the bush hog by yourself? Yes. Okay. Yes, and that's on the back of a tractor hooked up to a power takeoff. And you try to run your RPMs at a fast enough and high enough pace to have these large blades cut down weeds and things like that. So this is something that you grew up doing, so you know actually what you're doing and you enjoy this kind of stuff, right? It was kind of a, a time of where you'd be on the tractor and you could just be reflecting on other things, but also being outdoors and taking care getting of work done. taking care of the land. Yeah. All right. So at this particular day, it's uh, it was an unusual day. Something happened. So what happened? Well, it was. I was trying to get the orchard prepared. Um, we had company coming, and I just wanted the place to look nice. And so I was out working in the orchard. Now, my home is about a tenth of a mile from the road. Mm-hmm. And so I have this long driveway. I was working in the orchard, and my mailbox is down on the main road that approaches my house. Mm-hmm. And I was down at the mailbox when I ran over a branch under the weeds that I hadn't seen. When all of a sudden, I still don't know how Mm -hmm. and where it came from, but something hit my left foot, twisted it, and fractured my ankle. Oh, wow. I had a difficult time of accepting the fact that, did I really break my ankle? I was sitting on the tractor. Mm -hmm. I looked down. My foot seemed to be in the right place. And I said to myself, I broke my leg. Hmm. Oh. So did you feel any pain? I, I felt something happen. I heard kind of a pop. Mm-hmm. And then when I looked down, I thought, well, everything looks all right. But did I really break my leg? For some reason, I knew I had broken my leg. 
So I took my hands, put them under my knee, picked my foot up, or picked my leg up with Mm -hmm. my hands, and when my above-the-ankle boot, that's what I was wearing, Mm -hmm. when I picked my leg up, my boot just swung loosely back and forth, showing that that foot was just hanging on by what looked like to be tendons. I mean, I would imagine that's what it looked like. Hmm. But with my boot on, it was holding everything in in place. So when you saw that, what was your reaction? What came first to your mind? Well, I said prior to lifting, I said, no, I couldn't have broke my leg. When Mm -hmm. I picked it up and my boot started swinging by itself, separate from the leg, I said, well, I broke my leg. How in the world did I break my leg? I looked around to see what would have done it, Mm -hmm. and off to my left, but too far away that I could see, I saw another branch sticking up out of the weeds with a fork. It was had a main stem with uh, two branches coming off. And I thought, well, maybe that some way caught me and broke my leg. But I still don't have a real clear view of what happened uh, to cause my leg to be broken. Mm -hmm. So now you realize that your leg has been broken and you're out there on the bushhook by yourself. So how did you get out of this situation? Well, I reached down and took the power takeoff, uh, disengaged the power takeoff, uh-huh. uh, and, and then managed with uh, using the throttle and a little uh, grinding of the gears, I got the tractor in gear, drove it up to the lawn and parked it on uh, away from the driveway so I wouldn't block the driveway of getting back out. So how did you accelerate the tractor? You were using the other leg or well, No, the throttle on these tractors were hand throttles. Okay. Up by the steering wheel. That was providential, right? Well, that's the way they're made. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is there is on some now with uh, foot pedals as well, but mm-hmm. in those days the throttle was up hand. by the hand. Okay. So <laughs> you managed to get closer to the house. Got closer to the house. Uh-huh. But didn't want to get in the way of the garage because I was planning on my wife taking me to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So I stayed away from the garage door, but I parked the tractor on the lawn, got off and hopped on my right good leg to the end of the tractor. And from there, mm-hmm. I got on my hands and knees and uh, crawled to the garage door. And from there... I just shouted, calling for my wife to come. Mm-hmm. With that, she came to the door, and I told her simply I had broke my leg, and I wanted her to take me to the emergency room. Right. Well, she wanted to call the ambulance. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, it's just a broken leg. Just take me in, and we'll be all right. Well, so, so your calmness was this coming from your experience as a retired surgeon? Yes. You're, you're thinking everything is under control, but yes. she's seeing things differently. <laughs> yes, I guess that's the privilege and the benefits of having a wife to take another look. Amen. 
She has had some experience in the fact that uh, we married before I even did my pre-med. Oh. And then she went through pre-med, through medical school, through mm-hmm. residency, and through many years of practice with me, and has taken phone calls, etc., etc. So she'd been exposed to various things and her own particular take on them. Right. So her reaction, like, I'm going to call the ambulance, is from experience, too. Yes. She just said, no, uh, we're going to call the ambulance. So the the ambulance came? Well, yes. And she went ahead and she also called my son-in-law, who is also a family practitioner, Mm -hmm. and told him what was going on. And we had a... um, Student, a young woman uh, from Romania who lived with us for four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was with us. I told Marlene to give her a call, and I wanted her to splint my legs. So I was telling Arena, the young Romanian girl, to get some pillows and get several belts. Mm-hmm and to put the pillows between my legs and then one on each side of both legs and then wrap the belts around to help hold my leg and steady the fracture site. Mm -hmm. And so she was in the midst of doing that uh, when the ambulance came. So that was good that you knew what needed to be done before the ambulance came so that you could take care of your ankle. This, again, had to do with my experience, uh, you know, as a as surgeon. A, as a surgeon. And, yeah. Uh-huh. We also, I failed to mention, uh, we got, my wife and I became married uh, halfway through my two-year obligation as a medic in the Army. Oh. I had gone into the Army in 1956, and then mm-hmm. in 1957, uh, we were engaged in 1956, and in 1957, uh, we got married. Wow. And so she went through the Army with me as well. But I was a medic in the Army on the orthopedic ward of uh, the 101st Airborne Division. So I was involved with triage in the Army as well. Yeah, that's a that's a long time of experience. That, yes. that's even long way before my time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is with a lot of people. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So the ambulance came when you had done all the first aid that you you knew that was going to help. The ambulance came and they took it to the hospital, right? Yes, and there was kind of an interesting story in that. Uh huh. In this particular case, which got corrected after it was exposed, mm-hmm. one of the two, the one who was in charge, wanted to lift me. He had his one partner lift me under the armpits, and he was going to lift me by my ankles to put me on the gurney. Mm-hmm. Well, that ankle was unstable. It was just floating in the boot. Oh, no. And I said, no, you can't lift my leg. He said, well, how am I going to get you on the gurney? Right. I said, well, put me on one of those flat boards, roll me to Mm -hmm. one side, put the board underneath me, and then use the board to pick me up, and that will keep my ankle steady. He says, well, the board's going to be uncomfortable. 
I said, not as uncomfortable as you trying to pick me right, up by right. my ankle. Right, right. That's even worse. Yeah. Well, he agreed, mm -hmm. and so they put me on the lift board and put me on the gurney. Now, they were supposed to start an IV uh, right there before they put me in the ambulance, but mm -hmm. that hadn't got done, and they were going to try to do it during the trip to the hospital. But I guess I was a little shocky, and they couldn't find a vessel vein in order to start the IV. Mm-hmm. They bypassed the IV because it was only about a 10 to 15-minute trip to the hospital. Right. So you get to the hospital and they start taking care of you. Yes. Uh -huh. um, they took me in and put me um, in a room to care. And the standard procedure is to take the boot off to examine the wound. So this was the hospital in Niles? Yes, in So Niles. You, were, you, were, you were taken from... Bering Springs to Niles. Well, actually, Bering Center and to Niles. So the standard procedure, and they were following standard procedure. They wanted to get an IV started, and they wanted to examine the wound. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't let them take my boot off because I, uh, I knew just how loose that ankle was, and I wasn't sure about blood supply, about compression, all of that, until the surgeon got there. Mm -hmm. And... I did not mention that in the past I had several episodes of kidney stones. Mm. And with the kidney stones, the pain was controlled by morphine. And the morphine really took care of the pain. Mm -hmm. Well, when the nurse came and said uh, she was, because of the fracture, she was going to give me some morphine, I, she says, how do you like that? And I said, oh, I love morphine. Well, she did a U-turn and wasn't going to give it to me because she thought I was an addict. <laughs> and so she said, I'm not going to give you because probably you're addicted to morphine. Yeah. And my son-in-law happened uh -huh. to be in there, and he said, no, 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 he's not an addict. He, you can give it to him. Right. And so uh, she did give it to me, and that gave me comfort from the fracture site. Um, the orthopod then came in, uh -huh. and I let him take the boot off because, you know, you had to find out where the problem was. Mm -hmm. And when he took it off, he just took a look at it, and he said, well, we'll get this somewhat stabilized. But he said, uh, this is more than what I want to handle. Mm -hmm. He said, I have two men in sight, uh, one in Kalamazoo and one in South Bend that can handle this kind of trauma because uh, right there uh, I had what they call a compounded and comminuted fracture. What does that mean? Compound means that the bone has penetrated the skin. Okay. Uh, it is not a closed wound, but it was an open wound. Hmm. And the comminuted meant that there were multiple fractures of both the tibia and the fibula. It was, well, actually in pieces. Oh, really? So because there were three separate pieces mm -hmm. on the tibia, that's the main bone, mm -hmm. and the fibula was is a non-weight-bearing bone, so that's not quite as serious. Mm -hmm. But it was completely shattered the full length of that bone. The tibia was just in the lower third, and that was broken into three pieces. 
So just to make it clear to some people who don't know the names of these bones, so these are two bones on your shin. Yes. The shin bone is the tibia. Mm -hmm. The outside ankle bone is the fibula. The fibula. Mm -hmm. And it is the tibia, the shin bone, that carries all the weight. So now he sees that this is a case that he would refer to another doctor or another surgeon. Yes. Uh, there are trauma orthopods, uh-huh. and there are this kind of the standard orthopods. Uh, trauma orthopod has extra training in severe fractures. Mm-hmm. And being compounded meant, and especially having it happen within a boot that I've been using outdoors on the farmland, exposed that bone to levels of infection that uh, were serious mm. and could be, you know, limb-threatening and sometimes even life-threatening before we had all the antibiotics. So now he, he transferred, I was reading that he transferred you to South Bend. Yes. Mm-hmm. And at that time, the doctor took me in and uh, we got x-rays, of course, mm-hmm. Uh, had to take me into surgery, and he chose at that point, he didn't give me any choice, but he chose to do what they call an external immobilization of that joint, which included pins that were stuck through the skin into the bone, into the tibia, Mm -hmm. just below the knee. So this was going to help you to put it together, or... Yes, what he did, mm-hmm. he made kind of a a quad pod. Uh, he put these spikes on the uh, distal or uh, the phalanges of the of the foot, mm-hmm. uh, just uh, at the base of the toe, one on the inside of the foot, another one on the outside, down by the toes. He did a couple into the heel of the foot. Mm-hmm. one on each side, and then he had pins sticking out of the shin bone up underneath the knee, and then he made a brace ex- like a, um, a rector set mm-hmm. to help immobilize the area around the ankle. Now, he closed all of that after washing it out mm-hmm. and cleaning it up, You're supposed to leave him open for a few days, which he did, and then he closed that open wound Mm -hmm. where the bone had stuck out later. For about eight weeks, that's the way we left it. Uh, I had no weight bearing. I'd walk with a walker. So in space of time, like eight weeks, it should be starting to show some signs of healing. Yes. Did that happen? That did not happen. And when I asked about why it hadn't happened, he Mm -hmm. said, well, either there's an infection, but he said, I see no signs of infection. Mm -hmm. He says, I'm allaying this delay in your healing to the fact that you've had such a severe fracture. Hmm. So um, we came to a point in time where the external brace Areas where these spikes were penetrating the skin became so sore Hmm. that uh, we had to do something to change it. And that's when he asked me, would I want to have 
this external device replaced choosing different sites for its anchoring or did I want him to fix it internally? And I said, well, I really would like to have an internal fixation rather than an external fixation mm -hmm. because there was no healing yet and he didn't know how long it was going to take. All right. So when we decided on the internal fixation, mm -hmm. he said, well, what I will do is I will try to do some bone grafting on you. We will take some samples from uh, your ilium, the, your pelvic bone. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'll put some bone chips in around this fracture site. And he said, I'll take some synthetic jars off of my shelf right. and add to it to try to stimulate this bone healing. And I, I said, well, let's do it. Well, he said, before we do it, I have to make sure there's no infection in the wound site itself. He mm -hmm. said, we'll have to culture that, which he did, in which the cultures came back all right. There was no infection. No infection. And he um, then went ahead, took the bone chips out of my pelvic bone, mm -hmm. added his uh, little joy juice, I don't know what it was, uh, in on top of those bone chips. Mm -hmm. and then uh, put screws and plates into my ankle. And uh, we thought maybe we were on our way, but we right. were just going to have to wait and see. So by this time, were you at the hospital or you had opportunities to go home and come back? Several hospital visits. Um, mm -hmm. from The wound wasn't healing. The open wound wasn't healing. So he took me back and we took, uh, he did some skin grafting, mm -hmm. took some skin from, again, up over the uh, pelvic area and put down over the wound. We thought maybe there was some infection. They put me in isolation, so neither nurses would like to come in nor family members without gowning and all the efforts. Mm -hmm. And things were... Kind of lonely. You'd be almost like you were in isolation uh, right, right. <laughs> when you're incarcerated. <laughs> yeah, so, so with, uh, with your experience and background as a surgeon, what was going through your mind at this moment? Well, I kept thinking I had always... I came to believe the reputation that nurses and doctors are sometimes the worst kind of patients. How <laughs> were you that kind of patient? And I think I was becoming that kind of patient. <laughs> and I thought, I'm going on in my own mind here. I'm getting kind of, uh, I'm getting kind of short-tempered, and I mm -hmm. want to start giving orders rather than just waiting for someone waiting. else to. And it got to the place just before one surgery that came close to, to having the amputation, uh, our uh, associate pastor um, came to to visit. Mm -hmm. I just said, I, I can't accept a visitor today. I, I got too much going. Right. And I turned him aside. Mm -hmm. At this point, Dr. Wilson's mind is weighed heavily with the fact that he was so close to amputation. To an extent that he turns down the visit from the pastor. But when we come back, we'll find out more how this experience led him to a closer walk with God. 
This program is sponsored by Village Seventh-day Adventist Church. If you would like to learn more about Village Church, please visit villagesda.org. Are you wondering how you can spend the financial blessings God has given you? Join Village Church as we partner with the El Salvadorian Union to build the first Adventist college in El Salvador. If you would like to learn more about this opportunity, please visit villagesda.org. But uh, also prior to that, one of our elders came and said, uh, have you ever considered having uh, an anointing? Hmm. Because we had gone this period of time without any signs of healing, even after the bone chips and uh, the stimulant that he ordered, uh, you know, that he put into the wound. Mm Mm-hmm. And I said, well, no, I don't think that's necessary. I've got people in various parts of the world who are praying for me. So I don't know that anointing is any different than any other prayer. Right. So I said, no, I don't think so. And she didn't push the, uh, the effort. It was a female uh, elder. Mm-hmm. And she just calmly said, okay, and... We finished our visit, and she left. Well, after a number of bumps in the road, it came quite aware that I had a serious infection Infection. in my foot and in my wound. Mm -hmm. It happened on a weekend that it became so obvious that I tried to get a hold of my doctor. But he was not available. He was out of town. Mm Mm-hmm. And his the stand-in said, well, he said, uh, why don't we just wait till your doctor gets back on Monday? Mm-hmm. And I think I called him on a, on a Sabbath, on a Saturday. I said, well, okay. I think, you know, even with my experience, I wasn't going to push that right. point. So we waited till Monday And when that uh, Monday came and I got a hold of the doctor, uh, he got me in right away. Mm -hmm. And uh, he put me back in the hospital after examining me. The infection had shown signs coming up my leg to uh, what we call the tibial tubercle. That's simply that little bump just below the kneecap that you can feel on the shin bone right Mm -hmm. below the Mm -hmm. knee. Well, that was within a finger's breadth of of reaching that tibia or that uh, little knob on, on the shin bone. So we had, what, a centimeter and a half maybe distance between where the redness was in that bump on the shin bone. He said, if it gets up to that, he said, we're going to have to amputate because I can't let this go higher than that mm-hmm. and still do a below-the-knee amputation. He said below-the-knee amputation gives you far more agility than above the knee. Right, right. And it's not worth waiting if we're going to have to go above the knee. Mm-hmm. So that was on a Thursday. And we, um, I, I agreed that, well, with this being an abscess-like, this being an infection, it was really a cellulitis. Mm -hmm. 
that maybe we ought to try to incise and drain the nidus or the center, the cause of this infection. Right. And he openly confessed that I don't know where to make an incision here. There's no obvious site of its origin. Mm-hmm. But he said, I can explore and, and see what I can find. And he said, if we can't find it, we're going to have to just do the amputation. And that was on a Thursday. So how did you feel about the amputation? By that time, there'd been about three months. This happened in August. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were coming into late November, it seems like. It'd been three months or more, and there wasn't much going on as far as healing. Right. And I thought, well, it's almost better to just get rid of this thing and get a leg on there and a foot, and I can at least walk around and get back to living again. Otherwise, right. I right. was just right. confined to this uh, to this walk. So you were preparing your mind for yeah. it, and you're beginning to accept it. So. That Thursday, I said, well, let's do what we have to do on Friday. He mm-hmm. said, well, we'll have to do it later in the afternoon because of the infection and we can't uh, invade the operating room with an infected limb mm-hmm. until we get all the scheduled surgeries done first. So you'll have to be an add-on at the end of the schedule. And I said, okay. Mm-hmm. And so that's the way we left it on a Thursday afternoon. Well, the more I thought about this amputation and the more I thought about Betty's question about having an anointing, I decided I would look into the anointing. Okay. I'd study it on my own a little bit. So I did. I ended up reading James 5. Mm-hmm. It said, when you are sick or if you are sick, you must call the elders mm-hmm. and be anointed. Right. For the prayers of the righteous will heal a person. I thought the prayers of the righteous man will be heard and you'll be healed. Uh-huh. Then I thought, well, what's the difference between a righteous man praying without anointing and a righteous man praying with anointing? Hmm. So I thought about it and I thought the only example that I can think of in my memory is how Jesus cast the demon out of the young man right. after the disciples failed to do so. Mm-hmm. And the disciples asked Jesus, uh, why could you do this and we couldn't? Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, well, this kind of demon needed to have prayer and fasting. So I said, I guess the only thing that makes the anointing different than of a righteous prayer is that we have to do it on a more pointed, a more focused, uh, not a general prayer. It needs to be more more earnest, more focused on a particular situation. Uh And that one has to really be in the spirit of prayer before it's going to be as effective as just a, quote, general prayer, unquote. Mm -hmm. So with that clarification about, I think it was around 11 or 12 o'clock that night before I came to that conclusion. So in the morning, as soon as it got daylight, 
I put a call into my doctor, uh, got a hold of his office, mm-hmm. and through the nurses, I said I would want to be discharged today. This is Friday. I don't want to have surgery today. Cancel my surgery. Also, you canceled your Friday of Friday surgery. afternoon surgery. Mm-hmm. I said, cancel that, and um, I need to take care of some business at home before we go through the amputation. Now, again, harking back to my experience, mm-hmm. there is an increased incidence of myocardial infarctions with patients undergoing amputation mm. than there is uh, for standard surgeries. I don't know exactly why. But that wasn't the main reason that I was concerned, but it came across my mind that right, there are right. all sorts of things that can occur uh-huh. when you get an amputation. So, the, did, did they try to discourage you from canceling your surgery? No, and it was very interesting. The uh-huh. doctor simply said, you know, by that time he and I had quite a rapport. A good relationship. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, I was... <laughs> actually advising him that he needed to take a little more time off from the hospital and spend a little more time with his family <laughs> than he was, uh, having gone through some of the things he was going through at that age. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, we had a very good experience together. Wonderful. And he said, well, uh, I understand. He said, I'll let you go home today, but I want to see you on Tuesday the following week. Mm-hmm. And let me look at this so that we can know what's going on. So I agreed that we would meet him in his office on Tuesday. So we went home Friday afternoon. That Friday evening, I called our senior pastor. He um, arranged to have an anointing Sabbath afternoon the following day. Uh Uh-huh. And so he called the elders together at my home. He um, asked when we got together, uh, what would I like them to pray for? Mm -hmm. Well, I did not feel that I could request of our Lord anything in particular. I thought I would be selfish to, to say, this is what I want. Right. And I found other people hesitant to do the same since I've had my anointing, that they feel like they don't have a right to be specific about what they want. Yeah, you feel like it's being selfish and you just want to untwist God to give you what you want. Yes. Uh And so I said, well, I said, I don't know if the Lord thinks that I can be of more use as an amputee than I can as with a foot on my leg. Mm -hmm. So I said, I don't feel like I can dictate, so I I just want to do what's best. And it was Winston Ferris who has since passed, but he said, so what you're saying is you want the Lord's perfect will to be done for you. And Mm. I said, yes, I want the Lord's perfect will to be done for me. So that's what I was, they prayed for. Mm -hmm. That was on the Sabbath right after my discharge. The anointing was completed. I could almost feel a sense in the room of something happened. Wow. 
So the elders uh, went home. Mm-hmm. Sunday and Monday passed, and the redness was already subsiding from its peak, right below that little bump on the shin bone by the knee. And by Tuesday, it was at least halfway down, if not three-quarters of the way down towards the wow, ankle. Wow, that yeah, is amazing. It and, was amazing. And Tuesday was your next appointment with the yes, doctor. Yes, that was only Saturday, Sunday, Monday. The fourth day, uh, after, well, counting the day of the anointing. Hmm. And so I went in on Tuesday, and he just says, this is amazing. He says, it's getting better. So he said, I'll let you stay home, and we'll keep you on oral antibiotics Amen. instead of IV. And I got up. So we came home. We were riding on cloud nine. Yes. <laughs> and... Uh, so Sabbath morning we got up. I was getting ready to go to church. Mm-hmm. I was going to go to church when all of a sudden my leg just started, my foot mm-hmm. started just draining this uh, gunky-looking stuff. Oh, no, what in the world is going on? I said, Lord, I know you have a sense of humor, but is this funny? Hmm. I said, I don't know what to do. Shame on me. I should have realized that this was a good sign that it was draining because now it had found a way to escape on its own instead of being encapsulated within the leg. So it's pus that was coming out of the wound. Yes. But at that time I thought, oh my, because I'd had some drainage before Uh and things were still getting worse then. I really didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I hobbled over to this big easy chair in my bedroom and sat down and I picked up my Bible looking for some sort of consolation and direction. Just by chance, I just opened to the book of Mark. It's kind of the shortest of all the Gospels. It's right to the point. And I started thumbing through the chapters and I got to chapter 10, I believe it is. It's either 9 or 10, but I think it's chapter 10. Mm-hmm around verse 40 or so, where the story of Bartimaeus, the blind man. Uh And for some reason, I stopped there and I really read that story. And the story goes something like this. Jesus, on the way from Jericho to Jerusalem, Mm -hmm. the week before his his crucifixion, crucifixion. Uh he was heading as usual, with a crowd around him. And as he was going on the road towards Jerusalem with this crowd, he came across a beggar on the side of the road by the name of Bartimaeus. And when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus who was passing by, Bartimaeus must have figured that this was his one and only chance. Yes, that's only opportunity to get here. Jesus is here this close. Uh And so he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The story says that the people in the crowd said, be quiet, don't bother the master. Right. And that caused him to even holler more and more loudly, Jesus, Mm -hmm. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus heard his cry over the drum and the hum of the crowd. Mm -hmm. 
And he stopped. And he said, bring that man to me. And the story says that he flung his cloak. I can just see Bartimaeus. Excited. Excited. Uh-huh. And realized that Jesus heard, heard his cry. Amen. He flung his cloak and hurriedly made his way to Jesus. And when he came to Jesus, Jesus simply said, What would you have me do for you? you. Right. I just can't get over thinking of having an eye-to-eye conversation with Jesus. And And Jesus is basically saying, be specific. Yes. What can I do for you? Uh Uh-huh. Now, evidently, Jesus knew what he could do for him if we take all the other stories put together. But he asked Bartimaeus. Mm-hmm. He wanted Bartimaeus to ask him or tell him what he wanted. So he says, what can I do for you? And Bartimaeus was specific, I want my eyesight. Mm-hmm. And the Lord did not put any conditions, no conditions on this healing. He simply said, your faith will make you whole. Amen. No run around the block, no go and make right here or there. Just tell me what you want. Mm-hmm. So it, you, you, you read this when you were by yourself on, on Sabbath? I was by myself on Sabbath. My wife had gone, I believe she'd gone to church. Mm-hmm. But when I read that, I can still picture myself. When I understood that Jesus simply said, what can I do for you? I leaned back in my chair, and I repeated Bartimaeus' prayer. Mm -hmm. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. I started out slowly. I started out deliberately. And every time I said, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, the emotions just grew. And I just could not stop saying, and I must have said it, I think, at least a hundred times. Wow. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Mm -hmm. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And then it was Jesus, Son of David, Son of God, have mercy on me. Hmm. I don't know how many reflections and intonations of that I had repeated, Mm -hmm. but finally I was so exhausted, I simply got up out of my chair, hobbled over to my bed, and as I was crawling into my bed, Uh almost like a voice, I can't say it was really a voice, but something came to me and said, well, Tom, what would you have me do for you? And I said, I would have my leg healed. And I looked at my foot. I saw the sites where the drainage was coming from. Uh And with my past experience, I probed and examined those sites and found two old stitches that were infected Hmm. that should have dissolved, but they had not. Mm -hmm. I removed those two stitches. My foot quit draining. The skin healed up. The healing in the bone started. Wow. 
Of course, you knew what you were doing by removing the, the yes, stitches. Yes, I knew that. You, would, for, you wouldn't advise <laughs> in, just anybody else to just take off their stitches. Well, probably right. not. <laughs> right, right. But but I did, and I I must say I even used my old jackknife to remove the stitches. Hmm. But I wouldn't recommend that to right, other people. Right, right, right. The bone started healing. Everything started healing. And by Christmas, mm-hmm. there was enough healing. I still was not weight-bearing, but there was enough healing that the doctor let me go to California to be spend Christmas with my California daughter. Wow. But it all started with the prayer of Bartimaeus. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, son of David, Jesus, son of David. Uh-huh. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Hmm. And I just feel that when Jesus, Son of David, Son of God, can hear your cry above the crowd, mm-hmm. he will stop the crowd to hear your cry Amen. and listen to your prayer. Amen. I was reading that you you were told that you were going to be on antibiotics for the rest of your life. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. This um, infectious disease doctor wanted Uh me to continue on uh, a medication, an antibiotic, for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. I said, the rest of my life? He said, yes. In fact, I'll just tell you that when they're lowering you into the casket, they'll they'll just push two more pills down your throat. Hmm. I said, oh, my. Okay. So I did so for about a year. And then I came across uh, a friend of mine uh, whose daughter had an experience like mine where she was healed through anointing. Mm-hmm. And I told her that I'd been on this medication for a whole year and I, I was told that I needed to take it for the rest of my life. Right. And she simply said to me, well, I think my Lord heals all the way. I don't think he heals partially. That is right. And I said, you know, Jan, I think you're right. Mm -hmm. And by faith, I'm going to stop my antibiotic because I think there's more trouble from the antibiotic than without it. Mm -hmm. I haven't turned back. And this fracture occurred in 2004. Here we are at the end of 2019. And I haven't had a recurrence of the infection, which is standard. If you have metal in your leg Hmm. and you have an infection on top of that metal, Mm -hmm. the metal gets inhabited by these bacteria and they often will then still raise their heads and give you trouble down the line. Like come back at a certain time. Yes. But that hasn't hasn't happened. That hasn't happened. Praise the Lord. So I'm an exception again. Amen. Amen. So now you're completely healed. Well, I'm in in, by the grace of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. So to someone who is going through such a similar situation or in a difficult time, it might not be exactly similar to yours. What words of encouragement would you like to to give them? In Psalms 138. Mm Mm-hmm. Verse 8, it says that our Lord is a Lord who will take care of the things that concern us. Mm -hmm. I hope that we can understand that, that verse 
because there are some people who are anointed and have not experienced the kind of healing that I have had. Mm-hmm. If some way or another we can remember, again, the promise that Moses gave to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy, and that is that to know the Lord, mm-hmm. that the Lord our God is God, and God is the faithful one, a God who keeps his promises right. to those who love him and keep his commandments for thousands of generations. Even if things don't heal up as miraculously as they did with me, hmm. even if the problems are heavy and you feel in despair, right. I would just ask you to read Lamentations and how such a prolific and important prophet as Jeremiah was, mm-hmm. how he felt so afflicted at the bottom of a pit, mm-hmm. and how he felt when he was left there in the destruction of Jerusalem, seeing the dead bodies, and knowing how he himself is being treated even by those of his countrymen, even after the exile, Mm. that he said, as I remember, I have hope. Amen. And even as Job, in the middle of his discouragement, said, I know someday I will see my Savior in the flesh. Amen. So basically, whatever happens, keep the hope and the trust and the faith in God that whichever direction he takes you, he is still in control. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you for sticking around. I hope you've been blessed by this episode. Next week, we'll be featuring Pastor Dennis Page's story. I am excited about this one because Pastor Dennis Page was a drug addict. He was in jail, prisoned. He came out. He has an incredible story. Now he serves as a pastor in Bering Springs, Michigan. You don't want to miss this. I'm looking forward to it. This is Michael Xarona, and you have been listening to Why I Am Here. For more episodes, please visit villagesda.org. We would like to thank Pastor Ron Kelly and his pastoral staff for making this show a reality. We would also like to thank Village Seventh-day Adventist Church in Bering Springs, Michigan, for their support and sponsoring this show. If you would like your story to be featured on this show, please visit villagesda.org. If you have enjoyed this show, please remember to subscribe, review, and share with your friends. You can also listen to this show on your favorite podcast platform. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. <laughs>